I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated Rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes, so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Live Wild podcast. This week, we've got our in-season Live Wild live. We've got callers from all over the country jonesing to ask some hunting questions. And one of the things that we were doing for our callers, I love to be able to give some stuff away. This week, everybody that's called in is going to get a one-year subscription to the Mountain Tough Fitness app. It's something that I talk about a lot. I know there's a lot of you out there that have been utilizing it. You know, being able to be in shape is a huge component to being successful when it comes to Western big game hunting. So I'm excited to be able to give that to everybody that took the time to call in today. There's probably some people out hunting right now. I, I ended up doing it on a weekend, which was just the only time that I had off between guiding and, and all the other stuff. So I came in this afternoon and I was chasing some deer this morning and going to do this live wild live. And then I'm going to head back out on the mountain this evening, try some of my own tactics uh, on some big country whitetails actually. So uh, excited about that. Excited to be able to give the callers in. Now, if you're like, man, I missed the call in. One of the things that Mountain Tough is going to be doing, they've got coming up, they've got a Cyber Monday deal. But for our listeners, they've made it where you guys can get this deal right now outside of that Cyber Monday. And it's just for our callers. So there's a limited number, but if this is just a give back to the podcast listeners, they're, they're awesome at supporting you guys. And they just want the best for everyone, especially when it comes to being ready on the mountain. There's a lot of great stuff on there. If you liked, enjoyed the mental toughness podcast that we've been doing, they've got sections on that. You know, one of the things about getting fit for the hunting season is you got to start early. And with the holidays coming up, and it's like a new year about to turn over. Now's the time to start thinking about that. So if that's something you're interested in, our Live Wild audience can get that deal. Just use code LIVEWILD60 and you're going to get 60% off their annual subscription. So it's an annual subscription, 60% off. That's a really good deal. And there, there's a, only a limited number of them. So we've got, they gave us a, a limited number. So if you try it and it doesn't work, then they've already all been taken. But I think that there's a couple hundred of them at least. So if you're interested in that, jump on that. 
And now we're going to go into our first caller. Hey, welcome to the Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? This is Eric. Hey, Eric. How's it going? And I'm from... Good. I'm from Utah. I do the extended archery hunt here in Utah. Oh, awesome. Right on. Uh, My question is, do you change your tactics from... Because I listen to like all your mule deer summer or kind of late summer hunting stuff when they're in velvet. And I put those into play and I actually had a lot of success. I just didn't um, down an animal. So I got the extended hunt now that's during the rut. And I'm just wondering, like, do your tactics change when the, you know, when they, when they go into rut, do you do anything different or is your kind of spot and stock the way you do it when they're hiding in the high mountains? Uh, does it, does it basically apply the same? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, the stalking portion, a lot of the tactics when it comes to sneaking in are the same. However, when it's during the rut, it depends on the phase because mule deer might be cruising a lot more. Now, there there is a certain part of the rut where they, they lock down, but if you're waiting for a buck to bed, it might not happen in a good spot, right? I actually use a lot more ambush uh-huh. technique or sometimes like during the rut, I'll move in when they're distracted with the does because what what you'll notice is they'll be watching does and they'll be doing their thing and then they just get up and leave and they just bomb out of that country to go check another pocket of does so if i find a buck that's not by himself that has moved in with a group of does sometimes that's the opportune time when he's distracted and then another tactic that i'll use uh, we talked about it on that podcast i did with nate simmons where we're talking about it was actually an elk tactic where you kind of like spot and stalking elk and we're shadowing the herd and then you're waiting for them to make a mistake. That also works really well on rutted up mule deer because they're kind of doing the same thing where you're following that group and you can kind of hang back at a distance, but those bucks are moving around, they're pushing does around. And so you're you're staying within that kind of like following that group or that herd where you aren't going to get busted, but also an opportunity might arise within that close proximity. So when you see your opportunity, then it's go time. I've had that happen. One of the best bucks that I killed with my uh, recurve, I, I was essentially following this, this one big rutted up buck and he was just, sometimes like during the rut, they can get crazy brained, which is what you want. And like the does are the ones that bust you. And the buck was just really focused on rutting. And there's another buck came in. He started to chase that other buck off. And then he saw this doe. He was with like 20 other deer. And then this one doe, was a little bit further off and he singled that doe off and just started to push her. And so I actually got in front of them and they just came over the ridge and I got a 30, I think it was like 30, I didn't know if I even ranged it, but 33 yards about shot with my recurve on a great buck. You know, so it was just like, I was in that herd all day or that group of deer. And then I just got that opportunity. And then another thing to think about um, is like, I actually have a call with me. Uh, I know a lot of people don't think about calls, but sometimes if, I, if I'm if i moving and it's like uh, busted up a buck or whatever, I'll hit that call. And sometimes it's enough to calm them down and I just lay down and, and maybe get an opportunity because something got messed up. You know, it's just something to think about. And then one last, one last yeah. little thing uh, with deer during the rut you know, obviously like there's those, there's weather conditions and things that you don't encounter early. So sometimes you, you almost have to like pick your area based off of, um, you know, where your deer are moving and potential stuff. If you get that crunchy snow, which I know happens some years on those, especially those late and extended hunts, 
it's hard to stalk. So I kind of plan on doing a little bit of ambushing as well, where I get into a position where the deer move through and do that. And then, like I said, there's other portions of the rut where deer tire out, bucks tire out, and they go down and bed in some stuff off the group of deer. So if you see a, a real active pocket or whatever, you know, look for those bedded bucks because they can be tired and they can get fatigued, especially later in the season. And they might be sitting there for a while, especially if they've been beat up or pushed out. So all a couple of little tactics that I think would will really benefit you on that extended hunt. So I was actually going to ask something about the weather. Does the weather, like, if because it, it's been kind of abnormally warm where yep. I'm at, where I'm hunting. So will that cause them to kind of, hold off on chasing those because it's so hot, like 60 degrees and they've got their thick winter coats on and all that, or will they just continue to pursue does and then they just bed down when they get tired? A little of both. I think from what I've gathered everywhere that I've been hunting this season, like the rut is very delayed right now. And I don't know if it's necessarily the weather or a late winter kind of put deer in a in a different body condition and and so maybe it's just like all that extra water in some ways it was like hard winter but good forage in the spring you know so i, I would think it's it's kind of weird because i we're encountering that right now too and the red activity is not what it normally is at this time of year already so i'm hoping i'm hopeful that it's just a little bit delayed which is is good I've got a rut mule deer yeah. tag coming up next week and i'm like okay I, i'm actually excited that it might kick off a little bit later either that or it's just like a quiet rut where they're doing a lot of a lot more at night but right now the moon isn't real conducive to them running around at night so i, I would think that yeah if yeah. you if you get a cold snap i i did notice like where i'm at right now they're the white tails are just start like they're generally i don't know they seem to be like all over today and then i i was watching a group of mule deer this evening and there was eight does and just a spike with them in an area that's like a good trophy and i'm like what are these does doing with this little dinky buck like i don't know it's just a weird year for that and, and the weather could definitely or is probably definitely a factor in that as well like it's just a little bit delayed so they have to rut they have to procreate so i think that yeah i think if we get some a cold snap or something like that it's gonna fire off yeah that's how it's been here i saw i was up this morning i saw three groups of five or more does with four corns and i've been to the same area for the last it's been about a month and a half and I've seen like back when they were in bachelor groups, I saw three, you know, really nice shooter bucks with a couple of four corns, but now I'm seeing like all four corns with those. And I like to that, I didn't see any, any big ones with, with those. So it's just kind of strange. It's like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. You know, another thing that I've kind of uh, think is a factor where we're at at least is there isn't any snow to push deer out of the mountains and out of those like timbered areas. So they're essentially like surviving in their October phase places, a places where they would normally be out of at this point in some of those higher elevations, they're in there and the does are still in there and they're really hard to find. Um, there's a, a place, a yeah. buddy of mine has a special tag and, and we've been running into that as like, I don't even know if the deer are in where we're hunting right now. Like there's just no good bucks because they can be anywhere there is just unfortunately they can be anywhere because we haven't had the snow that we normally would by this point in the season yeah for sure so well man well thank you for the info i'm gonna uh get back out probably next weekend and uh really hunt hard so awesome well best of luck to you and uh keep me posted man I, i'd be curious to see how how your hunt turns out 
Oh yeah, you'll get a picture for sure if I if I down something. So awesome, sounds good. Well, best of luck to you. Yep, thank you. Thanks. All right, we're gonna go to our next caller here. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? This is Joey from Utah. Joey, how's it going, man? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, good. What's your uh, What's your question today? Good. So I have a late season archery elk hunt uh, in Utah. And I'm typically a muter hunter. I don't have a lot of experience with elk hunting, but I wanted to get into it. So that's why I got my hands on this tag, you know. But um, I think my biggest question is, for late season archery elk, what would be different about a stock on like a mature bull elk as opposed to like a mature mule deer, what I'm used to? Yeah, I mean, late season, it's going to be very similar. One of the cool things that I like about a late archery hunt is if you get the weather, bulls tend to be high and in areas where they can sun themselves, especially when it gets cold. So they're going to be on those sunny faces and they're probably going to be, you know, split off or bachelored up. We find a lot of big bulls bedded off on their lonesome and they stay bedded for a long time. So it's a really good opportunity to do that sneaking from above classic mule deer stock on an elk. You know, the one thing like you, you might factor in, like you might have snow or other stuff. It depends on the type of area you're hunting too. But in places where there's bigger mountains and that kind of stuff, they're focused on food, South focus on the South facing slopes, higher elevation is actually not bad big open areas where they can just get in and, and kind of sun themselves. Or even sometimes if it's not super cold, they might be on those North faces, but they're probably going to be off by themselves. And you can do that similar mule deer stock like you would any time of year on a mule deer buck and just make it a bull elk. Right. And to be honest, when a bull elk is by itself, I think that that they're pretty stockable. Uh, as long as you've got good wind you know, sound, when you get in tight, sound's a big problem. I, I keep a cow elk call, like, in my mouth, essentially. I use, like, a diaphragm-type call, a reed call. If you don't use one, just have a call super handy. Because if something happens where you snap a branch or, or you get in and make a, a noise and something happens and that bull jumps up, hitting that call, because, I mean, elk are loud. And it's, a lot of times they just think, oh, it's another elk generally aren't going to call in a bull that time of year. I, I would say you aren't going to call in a bull that time of year, but a cow call or just a little bit of a mew when something happens can can help. So that that is kind of a saving grace too. If you get into position and for some reason he doesn't like something, you, you make a noise that he doesn't like or whatever, something he kind of get, catches a sight of something and stands up and starts looking around hit that call and they often calm down or you can maybe stop them within bow range. Well, so I have three bulls I've seen um, just doing some scouting, you know, um, and they're all in the high country because I've listened to your podcast before and you're always like, hey, the big bulls during the late season are probably going to be, you know, higher up. And so I switched that tactic around and saw these bulls and they were like 900 yards away. So I was like, shoot, like how would I make a stock? And I was thinking about it as if they're a mule deer but I guess I have some, a few things to tweak up a little bit before I make a play on them in the next week or so. So, Yeah, awesome. Well, best of luck to you. And the one nice thing too is like if they aren't pressured, those those bigger bulls, sometimes they just get into a pattern and, and they can be super predictable. 
So it, it is good to kind of do that scouting and figure out where they're at and then find your ways into those places. Like they might just continue to be in those same spots, especially if they don't get pushed out. So good luck to you. Appreciate it. I'll send you pictures too. Awesome. Yeah, please do. I'm, I'm stoked to hear how it pans out. Good luck and I'll catch you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. We're going to go to our next caller here. Hey, welcome to the Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? This is Rick from Washington. Hey, Rick. How's it going? Hey, I had a question. So I had a draw tag for a cow archery season, and it was me and one other guy in a very small unit. I felt like I was able to get away with a lot by, like, cow calling, and uh, then you're just walking straight at the cows. So during... uh, normal archery season do you think i'll be able to get away with the same thing no they, they didn't have a direct line <laughs> of sight at me yeah you know it's a, i was like behind a tree and i was able to close a lot of distance yeah like a hundred yards you know so you're saying like in a non-draw area if you can get away with the same kind of tactic yeah yeah you know so uh, the call yeah. does work and it does hold elk and i've had it work in general areas where it's like if they can't see you and you keep calling, you know, moving in quick and, and just staying, as long as you're visually blocked, that call does hold them really well. I will say though, that like in other places where they get a lot of pressure, probably can get away with less and less, but there's a lot of over the counter hunts where I've been very aggressive and, and bumped up when I can and use that call to like, Oh, this one little calf saw me or this cow saw me, but I, and then just moved out of sight and then worked my way. And, and yeah, you can, you can often be very aggressive, especially when you mix in calling because they're, they're a herd animal. They're used to seeing things moving around. That sound kind of reassures them or tricks them that it's, it was an elk that they saw. I would say just like, I've been in areas where, well, this last weekend I was in an area where it was very limited elk tags and there's 45 cow tags or something and nobody's hunting them. And like those elk, you could probably just walk up to, it seemed like, like they just didn't care. Some of them did, some of them didn't, you know, and I think maybe a little bit of calling. They were not acting like elk in a area close by that had general cow hunting, right? But for the most part, yeah, you can be pretty aggressive with elk sometimes. So I would definitely keep that call handy and then just try to stay out of sight and keep the wind good. And you can often move in pretty quick. Yeah, that's what I noticed is if they, they saw me, and I was calf calling, and my wind was good. They didn't seem to care too much. Yeah, and but you know, as soon as they got the wind, they're out. Yeah, for but sure. they didn't blow out of the area. They only went a couple hundred yards. Yeah, that's that's I mostly sure just unpressured elk, right? Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, if you did that in an area where they get a lot of pressure, they know what's going on, and it just is a completely different world. Like, it's weird how areas that don't receive like limited tag areas, some of them, not all of them, but there are certain areas where they just kind of, I don't know, docile up because they aren't hunted a lot. They don't really have a lot of predation or uh, struggles that elk in other places might have. And because of it, especially in places where sometimes those smaller units or whatever are near, I don't know, like places that have a lot of other kind of activity. So they're used to people and they just don't really get a lot of pressure from hunting. So it's not necessarily a threat. They're like, 
their entire lives, they kind of are fine just moving off a little ways and then they're safe again. And elk that are habituated to that, they act a lot different than elk that are like chased by predators constantly. They act a lot different. Well, awesome. Thank you very much. Yep. Yeah. Best of luck to you. Thank you. All right. We're going to go to our next caller here. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Who am I talking to? Hey, this is Parker from North Carolina. Hey, Parker. How's it going? Good. So I'm actually active duty military. I live out here now in Colorado. And uh, thanks to a lot of you know, advice from your podcast and some other things like Go Hunt, um, the Big Hunt Guys podcast, I was able to navigate the uh, Western draw system and try to dip my toes into that kind of experience. And this year I was lucky enough to harvest a bull elk in the third rifle season. So just last weekend, actually. Awesome. Congrats. That's right. That's cool. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. So right now though, I'm looking, I started poking around looking at different like taxidermy kind of options. I was just looking to Euro mount and skull, you know, first elk. It's no, uh, no booner, but I'm, I'm happy about it. And, uh, it's ridiculously expensive, man. I was wondering if you do, you know, Euro mounts or anything like that yourself. Do you have any tips and tricks? I've seen like a lot of people boil them or even do beetles, but I was wondering what kind of advice you had on that topic. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I've done hundreds of them over the years and you can do it kind of any way. My, my method, I generally, you don't want to boil because the trouble is like every, everybody says like boil. Well, you, if you boil it, what's happening is you're actually getting the stuff that holds the skull together a little too hot. So I prefer to simmer them. Um, an elk skull is tough because you need something that's big enough, right? To put it in. There's a couple ways that you can do it. I just try to put it over like a big, big pot of water. Sometimes I'll get like a galvanized tub from Ace Hardware or something and then fill that up and then get it where it's essentially simmering the skull. Then I mix in something, some kind of degreaser, which is generally Dawn soap. And then I use some, uh, or just a little bit of that. And then one of the things that I use a lot is just put in like a half a cup of baking soda if you got a lot of water. So the sodium bicarbonate or baking soda helps pull that meat off. And that, that kind of speeds up the process. Then once it's fully cooked per se, like the meat falls off the bone, then I just use like a pressure washer and blast it. And then I use a uh, hydrogen peroxide kind of paste to whiten it up at the end once it's all dried and, and clean it up, do that final cleaning. And then, you know, one of the things that kind of helps is take like a screwdriver, pop the ear butts out like the, uh, and get in there. And, and that way you can kind of get in all the crevices and, and blast that out. But if you do it right and kind of let it simmer like that, you can generally keep like that nasal passage in there if you want. If you aren't too like concerned about that, you can always just blast that out. And it makes it a little faster anyways. You know, a couple of things that I like to have on hand, just a pair of needle nose pliers, pull out that cartilage in there. And then, yeah, it's, it's pretty simple to be honest. Like another little trick is to wrap the uh, antlers with some aluminum foil. That way it keeps the oil and grease off it. Then you don't have to like degrease the, uh, the antlers. Right on. Yeah, I don't know if the audio is a little wonky. I could hear most of what you're saying. I'll listen back to the podcast. Thanks for the response. Oh, sorry about that. I appreciate it, man. I don't have great audio, so I can't really respond directly to some of the questions I have, but I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, appreciate the call. All right. We're going to go to our next caller here. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? Hey, Remy. This is Rylan. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you good. Can you hear me all right? 
It's uh, it's kind of tough to hear you right now. I, your audio is kind of a little wonky. Ah, uh, man. Yeah, that happened last time I did this too. And I don't know. I moved my phone further away. Let me. Is that better? Maybe I got too much Bluetooth stuff going crazy. But yeah, I can hear you good. So feel free if you can hear me, just ask your question. And then you might just have to listen back to, to get the perfect answer. Me and my buddy, we're going on a fourth season elk hunt here. We're leaving on Monday. And as you kind of touched on on some of the uh, other questions, been on season will be warm. And I'm just trying to see how should, we should adjust our strategy with these different temps and not as much snow. Like, should we kind of go higher and work higher into the elk? Or, I don't know, I just, how, how should we adjust our strategy for this unseasonably warm and no snow fourth season? Yeah, I would definitely think about higher. The elk may have not moved off places where they normally would. You know, it's funny though, is like we've found a lot of bulls this year still doing things that they would do when the snows hit without the snow. But I would say primarily we were finding elk higher and, you know, bulls definitely separated from cows and then just maybe haven't moved to those lower elevations. You know, there, there's a lot of elk that don't move till they have to. And those are the elk that you can kind of start to target. It is very warm. There's a big lack of snow. And then I would say if things did change, things will change fast, right? So if, if you get a big cold snap or a big snow front, then kind of just moving back and, and looking for those elk that maybe have, have moved off. But yeah, I, I would definitely kind of think about those higher elevation areas as being the primary focus. Now you can always also target elk that might be resident elk, elk that would kind of be in an area that don't move from high to low. They just kind of always hang out in mid range. Um, but if it was me, I would definitely focus on a little bit higher elevation for that hunt, just with the current weather situation. All right. Yeah. I, I don't know if my phone's been a little wonky or what, but, um, thanks for the information and I appreciate everything that you do. And I've learned a lot. So I'm hoping me and my buddy can get our first bowl. So appreciate it. Awesome. Well, best of luck to you and keep me posted. All right. We're going to go to our last caller here. Welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? Hey, Remy. This is TJ. Hey, TJ. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, good. I am yeah, I'm from Montana. Um, I want to get into meal deer hunting. I've, I've killed some meal deer, but I want to, I want to kill a bigger one. I, I've had success with elk and whitetails and antelope and everything else. Just really haven't dove into the meal deer. Uh, the country I live in is thick um brushy it's really hard to get into it's full of grizzlies i think you mentioned in another podcast that you had guided whitetails around this area before um yeah any advice on how to attack this uh, deer densities are really really low in the area i'm just kind of intimidated by it one for the grizzlies i do a lot of walking in the dark for elk and antelope but with the grizzlies being so prevalent in the area it kind of uh kind of worries me um you know you kind of really need a good hunting partner in this area i feel like but i don't feel like many people are willing to do what i'm willing to do to try to get up to some of these meal deer i know they consistently kill you know 180 inch plus meal deer in the area um yeah just wondering your thoughts on that remy yeah you know i think one of the things 
is like those deer, they're few and far between, right? And they're in some like bigger, higher elevation stuff. You gotta have in your mind that like, yeah, I'm not gonna see a lot of deer. You do have to put on, like I do it a couple different ways. Like I put on a lot of miles and just continually check pockets till I figure out where a deer is living. Sometimes it can be like traditional where they just move out of certain areas into into other places. Other times, you know, you might just find a concentration of does in a, in a pocket and then a buck's going to show himself. A lot of like hiking into a basin and glassing into the places that you can see. Just sometimes it's not even the best stuff, but it's a place where you can see because that's the hard part is just having that visibility. So you got to get up into those like upper reaches of the canyons where you've got a little bit of an advantage and then just look across. And then also I have seen them drop down into some logged cuts and other things where you've got that, you know, they've moved off the mountain, especially if there's snow and, and they're still going to be fairly high up the mountain. So it can be difficult to reach them and access, but they're in there. It's just a lot. You got to cover a lot of miles and a lot of country to find those good deer. And it can be a hard hunt, but it is fun. I've been doing something similar this season and, and it's a lot of fun. Now, the other tempting factor is you're like, I want a good mule deer, you know, going to a place where there's a lot of mule deer. And there's, you know, that's one thing that I always think about is like with the general tag in states where there's general tags, you know, I, I'm the type that likes to hunt around where I'm at. And sometimes I have like a tough, crappy hunt. Not that, the, not that where you're at, uh, you know, but you, you're like, you're struggling to find deer. Like this season, I, I put in a lot of time or some time looking for mule deer. And it's like, I didn't even find any deer just because bad conditions or didn't find any mule deer bucks, let alone small bucks. I was just like, found a few does and that was about it. And I, I didn't have a lot of time to put in, but you know, and then the thought ran through my mind is like, why don't I just go to somewhere where there's a lot of mule deer and, and some good bucks too, um, maybe a different part of the state or whatever, you know? So that's also an option is like picking a different zone, different times of year where it's like, Hey, I'm hunting this high Alpine stuff for these bucks close by early season. And then as the season progresses, maybe I change units and, and go somewhere else. I generally don't do that. I just keep grinding it okay. out where I like to hunt, but, um, that's always flashes up in my mind when I see guys like getting into 20 bucks a day. And I'm like, dude, if I could find two deer a season, that would be great. <laughs> you know, but generally when I do find one of those deer, right. it's a good buck, you know? So there's just that factor too, right. Of like, when you think about hunting a certain species and you have options to go places, there's a lot of other places that have good options too. Not deterring you from what you're doing, but that's just something I think like a good thing to talk about as well is like, there are other places that are better. Me personally, I like hunting those low density places where nobody else is hunting deer and there's potential for a giant. I enjoy that, but you just got to yeah. know that like, yeah, you're going to be hiking in the dark. There's lots of grizzlies and it's going to be a suck fest for <laughs> 90% of it, you know? And then you just get like, okay, that's what I'm, that's the kind of deer hunt I'm doing. And when you kill a buck, it's really, really satisfying. Okay. Would you, um, would you look more in the avalanche? There's not really like, I guess there's some burns. Um, would you look more in like the avalanche country or would you look at like the, like above the avalanche, like, I guess above Alpine. Yeah. Those meal deer. I'm looking for like a late November hunt. Um, also just going off that, do they, would you also be looking for migrating deer in November for meal deer? in his avalanche shoots or the top of the basins or 
Yeah, I'm just not sure kind of how to approach that. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the sides of the avalanche uh, chutes can be good. Anywhere where there's that opening, you know, avalanche chutes, burns are great. You know, anything that would, you know, potentially be a concentration for deer, but it depends on the year. Some years there's a lot of snow and it pushes deer a lot further. Some years like this year, there's not a lot of snow. And yeah, you're going to have to get up pretty high because they're probably going to still be in some of those basins up at Timberline and then moving down, you know, potentially like they, the, the reason that I talk about the openings is just because it's a place that you can see. It doesn't mean that it's really good at like avalanche shoots and stuff. There's deer, like guys that kill deer, you kill them in there because that's the only place you can see. And when one gets in there, you can see it. Um, there's still like, I, I do travel some of those timbered ridges. And like, if I see a lot of sign or still hunt my way up, hunt those timbered ridges, glass those avalanche shoots and, and burns and other places where I can see, and then still hunt timbered ridges back down. And by doing that, like sometimes you run into bucks in the timber and there's, there's a lot of places that I've hunted where the furthest you're going to kill a deer is 55 yards because you're just still hunting your way up there. And it is kind of a game of like luck, but once you kind of start to figure out where they move and places that they like it, it really opens up the amount of spots that you can, you know, like continually go back and, and check those different areas. Okay. Yeah. I think the timber pounding in this area is just, uh, man, you'd have to put a ton of work in and probably not going to see a lot of deer doing that. Um, yep. Yeah. Okay. But I just more, more so needed some motivation and, uh, yeah, I just wanted your thoughts on that. So yeah, I appreciate it, Remy. And thanks for everything you do. And, uh, yeah, good luck on your current hunt. Yeah, thanks. And you know, one of the things too is like sometimes years where it's like it's a little warm this year or whatever, it's good for guys that like have an area where big bucks live up high and they maybe haven't moved out yet. Because later in the season, I think people aren't as motivated to go after those deer. And yet you're probably haven't been pushed into the thicker timber lower. So could be a good year for a, a strategy like that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I think uh, you're 100% right. I know a guy in the area, he killed just a monster on the top of the mountain. That's And I just, uh, yeah, just trying to put all the pieces together where if he's hunting migrating, meal deer, if he's, there's not very, I, yeah, I just trying to put all the pieces together. I'm kind of, kind of lost here at the moment. So, uh, and this is for our next year hunt. This isn't even for this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm planning on just devoting this uh, low density area full of grizzlies thick just pretty much avalanche country and um yeah just i'm literally preparing for now for next year because it's so daunting <laughs> yeah so oh perfect well keep me posted man I, i'd love to hear how how it turns out for you yeah i appreciate it remy you have a great day man thanks yeah, you too best of luck all right well thank you for everyone that called uh remember uh, everyone that called in today you got a subscription to the mountain tough fitness app so email me with your phone number and your name and and we'll get that taken care of before we leave today i want to answer a few questions we got here on social media so i'm just going to pull those up this question comes from mike coleman mike says how did you get started in outfitting slash guiding you know that's a it's kind of a funny story it's one of those things where that's what I wanted to do. I graduated high school. I was taking school, uh, college classes in the spring and summer semester and decided to take the fall off and pursue a guiding career. Um, I ended up not really 
having a plan, but I just loaded up my truck and was like, well, I'm going to go to Montana uh, for the fact that there was, at the time, it was like over-the-counter type tags. I had to tag myself, my grandpa. I, I grew up hunting this country with my grandpa and just knew that like that was a good place for, you know, to be an elk guide, Montana. I knew the area really well, so I went to an area that I knew really well and uh, with the goal of getting a guiding job and was planning on just hunting every day until I did. <laughs> and uh, I actually got my first job um, from, I was out hunting and I was just kept running into this one guy and I was always ahead of him on the elk. It wasn't intentional. It was like in three different places over the course of, I don't know how many days. And uh, I was talking to him and he's like, hey, instead of uh, working against us, want to work for us? And I was like, yep, that's exactly what I want to do. Now, this wasn't intentional. I wasn't like busting up his area or anything. I just uh, ran into him. And and uh, it's funny because uh, I was, um, him and his, the guy, this was a guide that worked for an outfitter. So he, he brought me to the guy, the outfitter that, he worked for, and I was like, yep, I want, I want a guide. And I talked to, you know, some other guys in the area asking if they need any work. And he realized that I knew the area really well. And I ended up working for that outfitter as a hunting guide for quite a few years until I got enough days to start my own. And then uh, ended up buying a uh, another outfitter's permits because we, we do public land hunts. So I had to have forest service permits. They're very limited. So you got to have somebody else's permits. So I ended up getting set of permits pretty much right when I graduated college and then been running my own outfit ever since. Uh, it's funny though, because the guy that I ran into, we became really good friends. We hunted all over the world together. And then it had been a little while since we've been together because uh, he was, he works in Idaho now and he worked for me for a long time, but, uh, you know, and, and so we, his wife had a, a cow elk tag. So I helped him pack out an elk this year and he helped me pack out my cow elk. And it was, it was awesome to be able to get together. And we were just talking about you know, man, it was, I guess this year is 20 years ago that I started guiding. I've been guiding for 20 years. You think about, that's a, that's a long time doing that job, but I, I love it. I've been actually cutting back the guiding a little bit, just the amount of days that I do it just because of all the other stuff I got going on recording this podcast and things gets tough and family and all that stuff, but I still, still got guiding this year. And yeah, I've been doing it for 20 years now off of really that now, I've written a few articles on, on getting out and outfitting and guide, how to be a hunting guide, elk hunting guide. Uh, maybe I'll throw that up on my website. Somebody maybe remind me if you don't see it up there. Uh, RemyWarren.com, I'll pop it up on there uh, if I can find it here next week. And, you know, there, there's a, a few things, but I think, you know, really knowing an area is key. It depends on the type of hunt. So if you're in a, in a general area or an area that, whatever, uh, public land hunts. I think you really need to know the area. Now there's other places you can guide where you really need to know the animal. So you need to know elk. Um, that's generally private land or even wilderness pack in hunts because you aren't going very far. You just got to learn a small area, but you have to know what elk do, you know, and then there's the whole like horse aspect too. So there's three ways to get into guiding. I think if you're getting into public land elk guiding, I think you really need to know the area. If you're getting into like maybe just guiding on potentially private land or in a wilderness type camp, I would say that you just have to really know elk. And then if you just want your foot in the door and you don't really know elk and you don't know an area, know how to wrangle horses because there's still a lot of outfits that use a lot of horses to pack in and that kind of stuff. And that's another good way to get your foot in the door. All right, one last question here came from online from Gerald. He says... 
I'm sitting in a blind hunting mule deer in Utah. My question is, have you ever used scents or rattling to lure in mule deer? Yes, I've, I've got a few bucks by rattling and calling, using a grunt tube and doing some rattling. It actually does work, uh, especially in areas where the deer rutted up really good in areas as well where bucks are cruising. It's, it's easiest to call in a lone buck. You're very rarely going to call a deer off of a group of does, but if you're in that cruising phase, the sound of clashing antlers works. And it depends on the type of country too, because like more timbered country is more apt to calling in a deer. Because in a lot of open country, you can see the deer. You don't necessarily have to call or rattle unless you're trying to get them in close for maybe like an archery hunting situation. Now, mule deer really utilize their eyes. So oftentimes they're going to get to a position where they can see where you're at. So if you're using it to like call in, you need to realize that they're going to try to see it first. So if you're like, I need to call a deer to get him in close, put yourself in a position where he has to come investigate to see you because a lot of the deer are going to just use their eyes more than maybe their legs to walk in. Now, if you've got cruising bucks, you've got the potential for like cruising bucks in an area with low doe densities, that's even better because they're moving around a lot. They hear that sound. They're using that sound and they come in. And I've called in quite a few mule deer and shot mule deer with clients that I've guided that way. It can be an effective tactic and I'm actually going to try it on this hunt that I have next week. So we'll let you know how it goes. All right. Well, that concludes our call-in Q&A. Just want to thank everyone again who called in and you know, one of the things, you know, this time of year, great time to gear up when it comes to hunting and other stuff, because there's going to be a lot of stuff on sale right now. One of the things that I like that, well, I'm a part of outdoor class. If you've got mule deer hunting questions, elk hunting questions, it's a really good resource for how to hunting right now. We've got a special promotion, 30% off the code's a little bit different than our Live Wild code. Just put in Remy, R-E-M-I, and you can take advantage of that code that's going on right now for this holiday season. If you guys are interested, there's nothing better than having a little bit of knowledge. There's always continually new courses being added. So you get not only my Mule Deer courses, but everybody else is a part of it. Randy Newberg, Corey Jacobson, some incredible chefs on there. There's some great stuff. There's stuff on gear. There's stuff on elk. There's stuff on pronghorns. There's stuff on mule deer. There's stuff on hunting. And so if you guys have a desire to check that out, you get the subscriptions for the whole year. So you get everything that comes out that year. You can go back and forth as much as you want. You can download if you're traveling and need want to watch something on the plane, whatever. Um, it's a really great resource when it comes to hunting education. Uh, Say so check that out. And there's a special promo going on right now, 30% off. Use code Remy. If you missed that code, it's not working anymore. You can always use code LiveWild. All right. Until next week, I'm just going to say, you got to just end these live ones with LiveWild. Get out there, guys. Catch you later.